Please take your Bibles and turn to John's Gospel. If you're visiting with us, there's a Bible in the chair in front of you and the little pocket underneath. There's a visitor card you can fill that out too and as well as a Bible that's there. You can pull out that Bible, find page uh, 82. It's towards the back in that Bible because they renumber the New Testament. So I'll find page 82. Um, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 12. John 12. John's Gospel, uh, chapter 12. We're going to do the first 11 verses here. Again, page 82. And that's, uh oh. <clears throat> uh, page 82 in that black Bible and chair in front of you. 82 to 83. In John chapter 12, we're going to read the first 11 verses, okay, and do our study. John 12, verse 11. Mama makes everything better. Therefore, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And they made supper for him there. And Martha was serving And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him. Therefore Mary, taking a pound of very costly ointment of pure nard, she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance, the smell of the ointment. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was going to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and give it to the poor. And he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having the money box, he would take what was put in. Therefore Jesus said, leave her alone, nor that she may keep it for the day of the preparation of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Therefore, the great multitude of the Jews, they learned he was there and they came not only because of Jesus, but also they might see Lazarus too, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests resolved that they would also put Lazarus to death for because of him, many of the Jews left and were believing into Jesus. Embedded in my memory, I think it was, I was 11 years old, 6th grade, was going to my grandma's funeral and, and for the first time, as an 11 year old, you know, they had a funeral with an open casket and I saw a dead body. Freaked me out, I'm 11 years old, I know I'm you know, freaked out, you know, you're a kid, you're know, walking by, and like, oh my goodness, what is this? It's embedded in my head, uh, um, very much so. And my uh, my dad was you know, 47 when he had me, so my grandma was probably, uh, when she passed away, maybe in her early 80s, mid-80s. So she's much older than me. That's why she passed away so soon. But that, that memory's embedded in my head of this corpse just lying there. A corpse is the still reminder that a person is gone. They're passed away. It's not a place of hope or of peace 
or comfort, joy, or life. It's just the opposite. You don't find hope in a corpse. You don't find peace, comfort, joy, life in a corpse. You don't. Well, actually, you do when it comes to Jesus. When it comes to Jesus and his corpse. And and yes, indeed, his resurrection solidified hope, solidified our peace, solidified comfort, joy, and life. That's true. But in the passage today, the focus is actually upon his corpse. At least he focused it there. And giving our devotion to him in a corpse who is also a king. John is calling his readers to come and receive Jesus and trust Jesus, know Jesus, believe Jesus, receive Jesus. He's calling his readers and today he calls us as his readers, come to the corpse king. Yes, I spelled it with a K on purpose. Come to the corpse king. Come to him. Notice the two terms, how they contradict each other. Corpse, king. Well, in some measure, maybe not in every way, but in some regard they do. I mean, a king reigns. A king brings life. A king brings hope. A king brings comfort. A good king, that is. And and, and a corpse? Doesn't make any sense. But it does for Jesus. Come to the corpse king. The true posture of a Christian disciple is at the feet of our corpse king. Only this king can give us life by his very corpse. Dot, dot, dot. The cross. He gives us life by going to the cross. And by the way, get this corpse king from Clink again in his commentary. It's so helpful. A true disciple of Christ humbly serves Jesus as king and and shows true, full devotion to him who alone is worthy of our service and allegiance. He gives us life. So we in turn give him ours. So we in turn give him our devotion, our, our allegiance. Only this king can give us life by his very corpse, him going to the cross. He gave us life by giving us life, by giving his life. Excuse me. He is our corpse king who died for us so we can have life and then he would be exalted. Interesting. So this king would be crowned with thorns and dressed with shame before he would be crowned with a golden crown and dressed with honor. And that's going to be the the irony in the text because they give Jesus this supper to honor him and yet he shows them I'm actually going to be dressed with not honor but with shame. I'm going to die. As Clink says, quote, the king's throne is a cross and his castle is a tomb. He is both king and and corpse. What a perfect way to describe Jesus. You know, we read from Philippians chapter 3, but early on, Philippians chapter 2, that's what Jesus, uh, excuse me, that's what Paul says about Jesus. He's going to be exalted, but first, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
And then he would be exalted. And so once again, we see the, the irony and the paradox with Jesus. John loves doing this. He's given this lavish, honorable dinner, and yet he turned it to show it was truly about preparing him for the shame of the cross and how we must be devoted to him in that way, to his corpse when he goes to the cross. You're gonna see three responses to this corpse king. And the first response you see, which is uh, most of the text, verses one through eight, is devotion to the corpse king. Again, I'm using the K on purpose. I didn't misspell it. I know how to spell corpse, but I do know. You know, K, king, K, get it? I mean, never mind. Devotion to the corpse king. Start in verse one. Six days before the Passover. So in preparation of Jesus to be the Passover lamb of God, John here is emphasizing this would be Jesus last week before the cross. So six days, his last week, Jesus came to Bethany. It's two miles from Jerusalem. The home of the Bethany family. Mary, Martha, Lazarus. Remember chapter 11? Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. In verse two, they had a supper for him there. A celebration supper. Now, now remember, at first, it was going to be a dirge meal. It was going to be a meal that you would have after a funeral. An after funeral type meal. Horrible. Sadness. Sorrow. But it became a joyous, celebratory time because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So Jesus was being honored. Honored because of it. And they held this celebratory meal on, on the preceding Saturday, Sabbath. And this meal, and notice Mary, excuse me, Martha was serving, and, and Lazarus was there. He's reclining with Jesus. And, and they gathered to celebrate this great sign that Jesus had done for Lazarus. And look what happens in verse 3. Therefore, Mary, taking a pound of very costly ointment of pure nard, let's stop there. By the way, it's better to see this connected to Matthew and Mark's gospel, not Luke's. I said that erroneously two weeks ago. Notice how she quietly approached Jesus, kneeling at his feet, and, and the feet would be pointed away because they'd be reclining down. Their feet would be pointed away from the table, so she went over there quietly to where his feet were, and she took a pound. This was a ginormous, ridiculous, lavish amount of ointment or nard. And this ointment or nard, it was, it was genuine aromatic oil, pure and unadulterated. I mean, it was of the highest quality. Only the well-off would possess this kind of perfume, this kind of ointment, especially this much, this pound. She anointed his feet. So a lavish amount of ointment was used all at once on just one person. Talk about extreme. She anointed the feet of Jesus, he says. Anointed a person in the ancient world was meant to set a person apart uh, for a particular task or role. Ruler, king, prophet, priest. Plus it would establish honor and praise for that person. 
You're going to honor a person. You're going to anoint them. Give praise to that person and adore them. You're going to anoint them. That's why you would do that. She anointed his feet. John's focus here is on his feet. Now, caring for the feet, well, even today, if you're a podiatrist, God bless you. <clears throat> you know, a, uh, not everybody likes looking at feet. Some people have a hideous, keep your feet away from me type thing. <clears throat> and, and in this time period, caring for the feet was the most demeaning task. It was assigned to household servants because a person's feet would be completely filthy. They would, I mean, uh, they would wear sandals and be filthy. Who knows what there was on their feet? So only um, the household servant would do such a thing. So, so this anointing symbolized the anointing of royalty and that sweet smell was for a king. She anointed his feet, says. And this was done in private. She's, she's magnifying his kingship. Uh, next week you're going to see Jesus' kingship would be magnified publicly. But Mary meant to present Jesus as the king, her royal king. He's my king. So her act symbolized her great devotion to Jesus, her love for Jesus. She was self-humbling herself before him and an absolute resolve to trust him. This was Mary. And then she goes farther. The text says, and wiped his feet with her hair. Her hair would be up, so shaking loose her hair, she wipes his feet with it. Her act was a sign of deep love and affection for Jesus. And, and understand, but for a woman to let loose her hair in this culture was viewed as taboo or a scandalous expression between a woman and a man. So lowering her hair was her way to express extreme gratitude and to show great humility before Jesus. Oh, this is just in time for Thanksgiving, is it not? She's willing to shame herself for her king. It's not a man, it's a king. Her whole person was in service to her king. So as she's letting down her hair, she's opened herself to shame. And yet this nard was equated to the worth of Jesus. He was worth it. He was worth it. I will, I will put myself to open shame because he's worth it. May we give Jesus the thanks he deserves this week. putting ourselves to open shame. And notice the last part of verse 5, excuse me, verse 3. Uh, and the house was filled with the smell of the ointment. It was a way to highlight Jesus' royal official kingship. I love him. He's my king. And king, you have my life. I I'm devoted to you. 
this act symbolized slave-like worship of Jesus. You have great worth, oh Jesus. May we have this kind of devotion, allegiance, dedication, and commitment to Jesus like Mary did. May we stay faithful to him. This dedication, this devotion to Jesus. Friends, this is key as we're dealing with the addictions of substance abuse and and other things within our world. Alcohol, drugs, whatever. Uh, LGBTQIA+, money, greed. This is the key. The problem is not that they're continuing on with this substance abuse or this relationship. The problem is they need to love Jesus more than that substance. They need to love Jesus more than that girl loves that lesbian other girl, other lesbian girl. They need to love Jesus more than that relationship. That's key. This is key. Devotion to Jesus. The the verses from Great is Thy Faithfulness. I found my treasure in you. That's Mary. You see this devotion, this commitment, this allegiance to Jesus. Verse four. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, a.k.a. Mr. Killjoy. That's what we're going to call him. A.k.a. Mr. Killjoy. Who's going to betray him? You know, John tells you. <clears throat> Last time he talked about him was in John chapter 6. He distorted this truth. He poured water over the fire. Mr. Killjoy. His true character came out. Uh, and, and usually does when money's involved, huh? Verse 5. Why wasn't this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? <laughs> Maybe he didn't do it in a whiny voice. Maybe he did. I don't know. Notice how he directly rebukes Mary, stupid chick. And then also indirectly rebukes Jesus, the king. Come on, Jesus. What's wrong with you? He focused only on the economic loss of the act. 300 denarii was, was a full year's wage for someone. Ginormous amount. So here's, here's Mary offering herself as a slave to her king. Yet this jerk was only thinking about the economic ramifications? Really? And by the way, just because someone is so into social justice doesn't mean it's for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Now there's two aspects from his question that I want to bring out. One aspect, first. He assumed the value of the ointment was financial. Clink is good with this when he talks about this. So, as far as he was concerned, this anointing was wasteful, superfluous, downright stupid. Oh, what an idiot. Now, a second aspect though, his question, he thought another office was more vital, more significant, more important. What office? The poor. They're more important than Jesus. Social justice is much more important than Jesus. Social justice is much more important than devotion to Jesus, 
Mary measured the perfume, this ointment, by its price of expression. I'll put it this way. Its worth was equated to the worth of the person she anointed. That's how Clink put it. It's a great way to put it. The worth of that ointment, of that nard, was equated to the worth of the person. Jesus was, was of highest, highest quality, so it's just why she used the nard. The highest quality of nard. Mm-hmm. Judas measured the perfume by its purchase price. The value was found in itself, not the person anointed. So Mary viewed the worth of the ointment through the lens of how much she regarded Jesus. Judas didn't value Jesus. The things we value, we hold in high regard. We care about deeply. Deeply, My wife is extremely valuable. So I deeply care for her. Jesus is totally priceless. He's of the highest value. This is, again, addictions come into this. They come into play. This is how you deal with this. You need to come to a place where Jesus is of the highest value, much more valuable than that substance that you're consuming. Right? And John tells you why Judas was thinking this way. Look at verse 6. Now he said this. Not because he was concerned about the poor. The truth comes out. Judas' question was rooted in his identity. It's because he was a thief. Uh, And then having a money box, he would take what was put in. He would conveniently take money from the group's financial resources they would would use to live and minister. I I probably need an extra couple hundred bucks for myself. Things going on at home. I got to take care of the wife. So he was only speaking because he felt a huge personal loss or a foolish act. If only this was given to the poor, to the poor uh, because then I can have a bunch more money. His true character came out. Greed, coveting, dishonesty. Notice again the, the irony in this and the stark contrast that John paints for you. Here's this devotion to the corpse king, and then you see Judas. He was a thief. But now, let's talk about this, though. This raises two good questions. First, was Mary right to give Jesus his honor? Second, was it wrong for her to offer this kind of extravagant gift? Well, Jesus answers both questions. Look at verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said, Back off, Jack! That's the Jim Masters translation. Back off, bub! Jesus first defended her. <clears throat> so she'd done nothing wrong at all. He affirmed the symbolic act done to him, yet showed that she acted better than she knew. Ah. Such a trademark in this gospel, isn't it? People act better than they know. You see that everywhere in this gospel. The real reason behind her act, Jesus tells you. In order that she may keep it for the day of the preparation of my burial, to prepare me for burial, I'm going to die. This royal king would end up not being served 
but serving his Father by giving himself on behalf of the Father's gift, us, by pouring himself out in death for them to have life. That's, that's really what she was doing. She acted better than she knew. She was anointing him for burial. She even realized that. This king would be enthroned with shame, sitting not on a throne, but hanging upon a cross. That was true glory. That was true glory. This king would serve the servants. This king would serve the servants by giving himself in their stead so that they can have life. He is our corpse king. He would go to the cross. So do you know this corpse king? Have you trusted in the corpse king? Have you come to a place where you see, Jesus, I need you to save me. I should be condemned for who I am. I know I'm a sinner. Please save me. He'll save you. Repent. Turn from Christ and trust Jesus. He'll save you. Turn from your sin and trust Christ. He'll save you. Have you trusted him today? And notice how Jesus ends this part. Look at verse eight. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Mary's act, in other words, he's saying, Mary's act was more valuable than caring for the poor. Now, Jesus was not saying the poor should not be cared. He's not saying that, which, by the way, I take that as Christians who are poor, not the poor in general. It's putting things into their proper place. In comparison to Jesus, the poor took, takes, a secondary position. The primary, sole object of devotion should be our Lord, not philanthropy. Our focus should be devotion, allegiance, dedication, and full commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. You're just saying that. There's one gospel. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It should be the gospel, not philanthropy. And by the way, philanthropy is not Christianity. I, I told you this story. And I was there in Jerome and Somebody said, hey, you know, this person, they do all these good things. Isn't that person really being a Christian? And I was about to speak up, and yet another guy who's not a Christian, he says, well, they're not being a Christian. They're just doing things that Christians would do. I'm like, yeah, what he said. <laughs> Listen to him. He nailed it. Philanthropy is not Christianity. It may be the results of Christianity or the proof necessary that we've been looking at in 1 John, that Christianity but it in itself, it in itself is not Christianity. Christianity is being a Jesus disciple, a Jesus follower, giving him full devotion since he alone deserves our full devotion. That's Christianity. Jesus did not put devotion to him against devotion to caring for the poor brethren. Again, I believe it's talking about poor brothers and sisters in Christ, not the poor in general. We love Jesus, of course, Therefore, we're going to love our brothers and sisters in, as John says, deed and truth, of course. But caring for the poor is subset to allegiance to Christ. Caring for others is the result of trusting and focusing on Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. 
So here you have, verse one through eight, this uh, devotion to the corpse king that you see this in Mary. And then you see this little thing by Judas, just, Jesus kind of brushes him aside. This devotion to the corpse king. Now notice this other response to to Jesus you see. Number two, a second response, belief in the corpse king. And I put that in in parentheses and um, because we kind of don't, not parentheses, um, quotation marks. Because it's a belief, what, what kind of belief is this? It's in verse nine, we'll go to verse 11 in just a moment, but you see it also in verse 11. Go to verse nine. Uh, Therefore the great multitude of the Jews, they learned that he was there. So Jesus' public reputation was beginning to grow and even more, they came not just because of Jesus, but they might also see Lazarus whom he raised from the dead. With this sign, Lazarus being raised from the dead. I mean, all these people are coming to, hey, Lazarus was dead. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah, Jesus raised him. What? Well, you've got to be kidding me. So they wanted to see Lazarus just as well. They want to see Jesus. Unfortunately, we know from past verses in John's gospel, right, that the crowds were not coming to see Jesus to be devoted to him, but to be wowed by him. You'll see that again in verse 11. But notice another response you see in verse 10. Now there's belief, belief in the corpse king, but then you have hatred for the corpse king in verse 10. The chief priests resolve that they might also put Lazarus to death. So you have Mary's response, the crowd's response, now the religious leader's response to Jesus, who truly hated Jesus. So much so they resolved to kill Lazarus as well. What? Why? Well, because he was raised from the dead. That's a good reason to kill somebody? What is wrong with you? It's unbelievable that they wanted to kill him too. Why do they want to kill him? This is where you come to verse 11, which is, again, belief in the corpse king. Verse 11, for because of him, that is Lazarus, many of the Jews were leaving, that's the word, actually means leaving, were they moving their allegiance? And we're believing into Jesus. So everything Lazarus said would be a huge thorn in the flesh of these religious leaders. So they need to shut him down too. Again, we're, we're unsure of the depth of, or true genuineness of their faith. We don't know. That's why it's in quotations. Is it true belief? Well, we will see later when Jesus would stand before them in about six days how deep, or really how shallow, that faith truly was. Devotion, belief, hatred. Those are the three responses to Jesus. The king's throne is a cross, and his castle is a tomb, says Clink. He is both king and corpse. Perfect way to describe Jesus. Jesus gave us life by giving his life. He is our corpse king who died for us so we can have life and then he was going to be exalted. So again, the idea from this text, this king would be crowned with thorns and dressed with shame before he'd be crowned with a crown and dressed with honor. A true disciple of Christ humbly serves him as king and shows true full devotion to him who alone is worthy of our service and allegiance. He gave us life so we in turn give him our lives. I'm devoted to him, not philanthropy. 
of just being a good person. That gets you nowhere. This was Mary's allegiance, her devotion, her love, her commitment to Jesus. This was her response to him. The true posture of a Christian disciple is at the feet of our corpse king, like Mary. Only this king can give us life by his very corpse, the cross. In his death, you're given life. In his death, he forgives you of all your sins and wipes you clean. Our response should be to be devoted to him as a church. Let's pray to that end. Our Father, we renew once again our commitment, devotion, allegiance, commitments, dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ. We know we fall short and in the midst of that, we are also thankful because Jesus, you died for that too. Thank you. Thank you for dying for the times where we fall short. We sin. We put other people and other things in that place place where we're not treasuring you of highest quality the way Mary did. So help us. Help us to treasure you above all, to value you above all. Thank you for your mercy to us. Thank you for taking your spirit and working in us. We renew I love for you once again, Jesus. I encourage you to take this time, about a minute or so, minute, minute and a half, whatever. Take this time to renew your love and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Fill your mind with scripture. Fill your mind with this gospel, this one gospel in which we stand. And you'll, we'll sing couple songs we'll we'll pray but let this time be between you and the Lord time of silence again for about a minute or so to fill your mind with truth and renew your love and commitment to the Lord